anyway, as I was saying, good evening, everyone. Let's get started. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Jen. Good evening, Noam. How are you doing? All right. It's uh, it's, it's Thursday night, and we're all yeah. dropped out. <laughs> Not Wednesday night. Thursday night. Yes, Thursday night. Everything's discombobulated. What happened, by the way, I know I cut this out, so if you're listening to this later, you didn't hear the false start, but uh, I actually had the show open on my computer in my browser. And so it fed back, like it was like feeding back and it got like super echoing here. And I was like, where's that coming from? Is that Jen? Is that Jen's thing? Anyway, it was not Jen's fault. It was my fault. No. And, and the, the thing that the, the behind the scenes thing that you guys never see is that we're actually on cam with each other when we're doing this. So I was actually on mute and I can just like show him my phone and be like, I'm on yes. mute, jerk. <laughs> she held up her phone. <laughs> And that's when I that's when I went like, oh no, oh no, that means it's me. <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> anyway, but we're here now. Yes, we're here now, and uh, we've uh, we've made it. We've done it. We did it. Good night, everyone. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, yeah, we're here to talk uh, some stuff. Um, even though, you know, we're going to talk more about like, uh, Elon and Twitter, but then that story is now weirdly like kind of vanished again. Yeah. And I don't, I, I, I don't want to talk about the story that everybody's talking about tonight. Cause it's just, it's too goddamn depressing. So. Which uh, I, I have to ask though, which of the two, I mean, I know what you mean, but like, because 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 Uvalde is still is still it's like the Top Gun maverick of awful stories. It like every it's still week after week it's still on the charts of being an awful, <laughs> story, constantly bombarding us with with its awfulness. It just won't go away. anyway. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the none none of the stories about children suffering. How yeah. about that? Well, that's a, I, that's well put. Well, if anything with ch- children suffering in it is maybe not good fodder for this show, um, except maybe Thor: Love and Thunder, in which children suffer a bunch from Christian Bale hamming it up in their faces and scaring <laughs> a scary sci-fi snake. Um, yeah. Anyway, we've uh, we we I'm, I'm going to take a, a break from uh, diving into drones now that I. <laughs> This stupid! <laughs> I myself a drone, even though I live in a city where your drone will literally not take off. It's software locked to take off in the city where I live. I got to drive out of the city to go use it. And, and I will admit that this is all slightly my fault since I sent you the link to the Prime Day deal. <laughs> like, oh look, it's a Prime Day deal. It's like, God damn it! Did you really have to send me that? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I, and I mean. Because what had happened was I bought like a toy, like a $50 toy drone for two reasons. One was just to play around with and see if like I was like into the idea of buying something that wasn't a $50 toy. And the second was that I'm uh, I'm going to go visit uh, my family soon. And I have a nephew who uh, does uh, model airplane stuff like, uh, you know, builds like uh, those little model airplanes that you can kind of fly. Not remote control, like literally just kind of throw in their kind of arrow, build them out of balsa wood and stuff. And so I was like, what a great, what a great present for him. Uh, And I told my dad about it. And my dad was like, can can you bring me one too? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. You know, uh, and I mean, honestly, like when I, I, when I play with this thing around my apartment, I'm a mate. Like I just think about when I was a kid, 
and I came to the States, I would go to like Toys R Us and, and the United States was like, you know, kid heaven. When, when I, back when I was a kid in Israel, before the internet and stuff, it was not, it was the, there was parody. There's some kind of like social parody in the, in the developed world now because of the internet where like movies all hit the same places at the same times and you can get the same toys essentially everywhere in the world, all that stuff. But no, when I used to come here as a kid, it was like entire universes of things that just did not exist where I lived. Entire car shows and types of toys and toy stores and stuff. And yeah, I remember uh, a thing that I had always wanted as a kid was one of the more serious like uh, radio controlled cars. Like the monster trucks that don't have a remote that's like dual stick. They you kind of hold it like a gun with a gun grip that it has like a wheel. Oh. And I wanted one of those so fucking bad as a kid. And they were always too expensive. And the box was too big, so we couldn't take it back with us to Israel and whatever. And now for like no money at all, you can buy a fucking quadcopter that has a like a 4K camera in it that you could connect to your phone and FPV fly and take fucking video. Like it's un I like I can't believe it. I had this moment of like it's not fucking fair. I should have been born like 30 years later. <laughs> Although I would have been like an obnoxious zoomer if I was born now. So maybe I don't know. Maybe I need to have been born in that period to like properly appreciate what you have now. It's weird to kind of think about because, like, obviously, I grew up in America with, like, Toys R Us and even, like, the knockoff Toys R Us and even, like, the stores in the mall that were basically just, like, toy stores. Like, that's all they sell is, like, toys. Like, there's a huge store and all it sells is toys. And, like, other people didn't grow up with that. I mean, this is all completely so fucking far off topic, but whatever. And but it, have, it's kind of uh, not. There were toys. There were toy stores, but there were there was not a Toys R Us. There was there was nothing like that. Everything about uh, not like the, a big box store that was just toys. I, I it's it's a little hard for me to explain. How here, I'll explain it this way: When I was in junior high, the cool backpack that the cool kids had were the JanSport backpacks. Right, <laughs> that was like the cool thing the cool kids had. Right, and I couldn't afford one. Uh, in Israel that were too expensive. And then I was here and we went to Costco with our, with my cousins because they were having a party and they had to go get stuff at Costco. And there was a Jansport bag there on sale for like $20 or something like that. And it melted my brain. I was like, I was like, wait, what? Like I could not, I thought to myself, like, can I buy five and like sell them? To <laughs> I was like, that was where my brain immediately went to like, <laughs> Like Jan Sports were incredibly popular here too, but how much did they cost in Israel? A lot. I mean, I was explaining this to someone else today about how because of the way that uh, everything is imported to Israel via the ocean, not overland like in Europe and stuff like that, it's uh, importing stuff is expensive, and it, it was even more expensive back in the day. Essentially, like importers, you would have a lot of middlemen that you know, were essentially a monopoly and there was nothing to do about it. And so everything was marked up horrifically. My, my story, I'll tell it again. It's weird that I just told the story today. I'm going to tell it twice. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I was going to buy, I saved up to buy a Gibson Les Paul guitar, which is like a $2,000 guitar. Um, and uh, in Israel, it was so much more expensive that in theory, I could have flown to the States, bought it here, flown back, and it still would have been like $1,000 cheaper. Wow. It, it's the equivalent of about 4K in Israel when he when here it was like 2K. Um, and yeah, like that's – and yeah, I remember like people that I knew that were not rich were like, you know, regular middle-classy kind of people had like – six guitars and four amps, you know, here living here. Cause you can buy mm -hmm. especially yeah. hand and, and I got by on like the most minimal, uh, like scroungy, uh, secondhand shit that I could find. Cause yeah, it was all way too expensive. Um, and I don't even know how we got here. Oh, drones. Yeah. Anyway, like, I don't know. <laughs>
I'm 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 sort of blown away by drone technology and what you can like the the price what you get for various price points. Um, and yeah, the the company that makes you know like the the industry standard drones and stuff is called DJI, and uh, the, one of their drones crashed into the White House in 2015, and so yeah, now they they instituted like a software lock on their drones in like a 15 mile radius of like the, the center of DC, like the national mall, white house, Capitol building area. And so, yeah, I got, and I live much closer to there than 15 miles. So I got to get in my car and like drive half an hour out into Maryland or Virginia to be able to use it. Um, but that's, uh, that's, uh, but sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think DC in general has ordinances about drones flying because obviously it's DC and they're a little, well, so about stuff like that. Drones are not allowed in DC at all. Period. If you go to the National Mall, they have signs that say no drones. Yeah. Not just there. It is literally nowhere in the district you're allowed to because of that. It didn't used to be that, but because of that drone incident, I was just saying to you right before we went live. I said it's a pain in the ass that there's all kinds of restrictions and stuff like that, but also like I totally get it. These things, this drone that I bought for not a lot of money, again, it's like a hobbyist drone, can go like 1,500 feet in the air, can fly six or seven miles away from where I'm standing in, in, in automated modes to make it do all kinds of like where I don't even need to control it. And that's so dangerous, you know? And so like, and it's, it's, a, and it's a big problem with places like prisons. All of the prisons are geo-locked on my uh, drone provider's map. Mm-hmm. yeah there's all kinds of stuff like that and yeah there's altitude restriction zones and stuff but it's and these things again it, it's it's unbelievable to me having grown up like in this world where you used to you know there's like the um gasoline powered model airplanes and stuff that you can take off with on a runway but those are like very gated they're very advanced for hobbyists they're hard to control they don't have cameras and gimbaled controlled gps with your fucking phone like it's yeah. just yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm conti- it's fun, by the way. I hope I never lose my childish glee for like technology that was a, just a dream when I was younger. I really, I seriously hope I never grow so cynical that new tech doesn't excite me like this. Truly. And also, I like, this just made me think about a different story that maybe I'll put a pin in for later because we're already way, way, way far off topic about the topic of like, technology that you can literally just own as a civilian and it's insanely powerful. I was thinking about like my cell phone and the camera on it and what I can do with it and how like I have the the S22 Ultra, the Samsung. When the S20 Ultra came out, that's the first time they had the 100K zoom. And there were actually articles about that as far as it being like a privacy concern because of the powerfulness, like what you could do with that camera. Yeah, that reminds me, by the way, a thing that we can briefly mention, the James Webb Space Telescope images. Space! So so, um, someone uh, tried to explain the resolution of that camera, tried to put it in, like, understandable terms, and they said it would be as though you, with, like, you sitting here now, would be able to see a Nintendo Switch cartridge. Have you ever seen a Nintendo Switch cartridge? It's about the size of, like, a... of like a like a SD card, like not a yeah. micro. Tiny. SD yeah. Card, if it were on the moon, and like you would be able to tell which game it was. That's <laughs> like that's how. That's how. And the, again, the moon is like people don't understand. By the way, how far the moon is? Here's a here's a thing. The moon is so far from Earth that you could fit all of the other planets in the space between them. That's how but far. Then- but you could also see, like, look, we put a copy of Metroid Dread on the moon. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> also, good, good on you for, for, a, for a good uh, Nintendo Switch game pull. And you were <laughs> like, Mario. <laughs> like, no, I'm going to fucking the most recent Metroid game. Yeah, I can't go lame on this. Like, come on. Love it. I love it. Um, yeah, those images are ridiculous. And there's there's all kinds of, like, additional stuff. It, it can, like, 
sense the it can like measure the oxygen levels and exoplanets it's a fucking ridiculous thing and by the way that image with the millions of galaxies that image have you seen what part portion of the sky it is have you seen like the the perspective like, shot where like it's zoomed it's, out? it's, it's such tiny, a small, tiny, tiny. small slice in the sky that it's the size of a grain of sand if you held it out at arm's length like that's mm-hmm. Tiny of a bit of the sky that is, and it's fi- it's speckled. It looks like somebody took a little paintbrush with white on it and like flicked it at a page. And every speck like that is like either like a star that's closer to us or like a galaxy that's farther away. It's just it's insane. Okay, and I'm I'm gonna pivot. I'm gonna do a tie-in here. Cool. Because when I was looking at those images from the Webb Telescope. It, it reminded me of how Infinity is portrayed in the Thor movie. Good call. Good call. See how I did that? There's going to be some, spo- some more spoilers here, but like, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's Sweet. that's all I got to say. <laughs> I, I, I was going to qualify somehow, but I, I don't know if there's a way to. Okay, so Thor, Love and Thunder, it came out. Thursday slash Friday of last week, depending on where you live and availability, blah, 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 blah. I mean, okay. This is where I'm at on the movie. From the trailer, I was expecting a big, dumb movie. What I got was a big, dumb movie. So, therefore, I'm not particularly upset about this movie. I don't really have much to say as far as criticism because it was what I was expecting it to be. I I did think about something though. And that is that I mean this movie, Love and Thunder, is a very Watiti movie, which I mean, first off, it's a literal, literal sequel to Ragnarok. Like you basically were starting at some points a couple of years in the future from Ragnarok, New Asgard well, is up and yeah, running. I mean, it's directly after uh, Endgame. Like what happens at the end of Endgame yeah. is that Valkyrie becomes the king of New Asgard, which is in yeah. And Thor gets on a ship with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's it. And so now we see him like the the, the movie picks up a little bit later when he's been you know when he's he's been like tagging along with them to do stuff. Yeah, and he's, like, apparently gotten in the CrossFit, and oh, there's no word if he's a vegan, but, yes, he does lose the weight, and, you know, good whole montage. He was going through the male equivalent of, like, eat, pray, love, you know? He was, like, finding himself. He was, like, he was doing, a, a like, a, a silent retreat. <laughs> Which is funny, because this is something that Thor has been threatening ever since I believe the end of dark world that he's like, I'm going to go find myself. Or maybe it was even the end of the first Thor movie. When, when was it that he rejected the kingship of Asgard and was like, no, I'm going to like, go do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was essentially in the dark world where he said like, I'm not, he said like with, for all his faults, Loki was far, far, you know, like far would be far better at ruling people. Yeah. There's all, there's all kinds of, of stuff like that. I think someone said though, the problem with Thor is that like, I mean, in a way now at the end of this, it was the first time that he has kind of, like actual purpose he looked for purpose and he looked for purpose and he thought he found it but then he didn't find it and he thought he found it and he didn't find it and now i think he happens to have it my i have a i have an like an abstract problem first of all i think again this movie was way too taika waititi and i think a lot of people think that he 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 took it too far in his own flavor which is again depend it depends on what because that if you watch a movie of his, like what we do in the shadows or like a Jojo rabbit, that's fine. But this movie also has to fit. There is a tightrope walk that you got to do between, uh, being your own style of creator and, uh, being able to slot into the other things in ways that are cohesive and also make sense. A, A big problem with phase four thus far is that they're throwing everything in the kitchen sink and every project almost in phase four has had some kind of, has introduced some kind of new organization 
or new realm or new uh, thing of influence. Think about it. WandaVision had Sword. Loki had the TVA. I guess Falcon and the Winter Soldier. No, it had like, it had the, uh, the, um, the, uh, whatever the name of the boss was. There's some kind of name. The game master. I don't know. I can't remember the name of the, there's some kind of kingpin, which turns out is Sharon, a Sharon Carter at the end of it. Uh, somebody in chat might remember Loki had the TVA. Uh, and then like Dr. Strange had introduced like the Illuminati and the Illuminati and the other universe. Um, uh, uh, Miss Marvel introduced the clandestines and then you have the Eternals and then you have the, and, and you have like, all of these other realms, the nether realm, the shadow realm, the, the, the whatever. Oh, the power broker. Thank you. Uh, above, <laughs> average, above average joyous, the power broker. Um, and, 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 and uh, Miss Marvel had a weird time travel thing that wasn't exactly like any other time travel thing. There's a lot being introduced. The Spider-Man spell was a little hard to explain and wasn't really explained super well. And then what happened in Multiverse of Madness wasn't easy to explain well. And uh, spoiler alert for Miss Marvel, now, now, they said mutants. They said mutants. They said she's a mutant. X Men music. Now, when he said, like, you have a mutation in your genes. Because it's 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 complicated, but Miss Marvel is supposed to be an Inhuman, but they but the only reason that she was an Inhuman was because Marvel didn't own mutants at the time, so they had to make her an Inhuman. Anyway, it's like a, that that's way yeah. too for here. But um, my problem is there's way there, it's way too much of a big mess, and uh, 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 the fans, the sort of the hardcore fans, are really confused and not sure where this is going. Not sure uh, how things fit together, if they're even meant to be fit together, because they used to. And uh, and yeah, the tone they wanted to be more serious. Fans thought this should have been more serious, and I agree. I mean, it it should have. I, I think that it. I think that its emotional moments were frequently undercut and there was a more space to do something more dramatic and funny. I mean, I thought Ragnarok balanced that stuff pretty well. Like I thought Ragnarok had some really great, like more serious moments, uh, but it was also very funny and colorful. I thought doing a Ragnarok, but pulling it back a little would have been great instead of going two steps even beyond Ragnarok. But here's the thing. And and here's kind of where I landed on this as far as Watiti going full Watiti on this movie. Raimi went full Raimi on Multiverse of Madness. And where I did, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess, whatever. I mean, if you wanted to see the movie, you'd have seen it by now. We get in Multiverse of Madness a full on zombie Doctor Strange in like the pivotal fight moment. And I don't mean like slightly zombie i mean like fully necrotic missing a third of his face full-on sam raimi zombie look and there's a lot of heavy horror and zombie influence in that movie and even i mentioned it when we did our episode about it that i was surprised that they allowed him to go that far into that realm on an MCU movie because it kind of it there are a lot of serious horror elements in that movie but again it was letting Raimi be Raimi and I mean it's all the way down to like the Bruce Campbell cameo people so I wasn't so but no but but my point is I wasn't surprised that they let Watiti go in that same sort of way and direction they let Raimi go as far as like okay this is the general outline and now you make it yours and and I think the reason well maybe probably one of the reasons why the the fandom didn't react as badly to like multiverse of madness is because I imagine there's a lot of overlap between MCU fans and horror movie fans and a lot of people who are fans of Raimi both from the Spider-Man movies and also from Evil Dead and stuff like that and so there's a lot of I, I think there was probably a lot a lot more like forgiveness maybe and understanding as far as like watching that movie and being like okay this is kind of 
got way more horror elements than I would imagine in an MCU movie, but it's Raimi, so whatever, and I don't mind it. But like I like I said on the pod, like this is a very absurdist movie, and I think that probably like offset a lot of people. But it's very Watiti. They let Watiti be Watiti. But so the, I think the main difference is that uh, uh, the Raimiisms, a lot of them had to do with the style of filmmaking. I don't think that uh, Doctor Strange in it uh, behaved any more or less like Doctor Strange normally does. And I do think that um, Thor's development into a, a, a sort of a sillier character does make sense. And I do think that one of the things that this movie did that I really appreciated was it showed a montage of his and Jane's relationship after uh, Thor the Dark World and before they broke up. I believe they broke up uh, by the time of Ragnarok. Yeah. Um, together. And, and it and even shows him like going off on adventures during that montage and her having to like wait for him. And, and that was a big hole uh, in that. His, That's yeah. another thing too, but okay. A big hole in that whole thing that we missed, but not only their relationship, it also showed Thor becoming more the Thor that we know now beaten uh, uh, transitioning from like a detached god who lived in like a medieval world into like a modern dude, kind of like Captain America. The same thing happened with Captain America. He used to be a fuddy-duddy old guy, right? And then in uh, in Winter Soldier, you see his fighting style evolves to like modern, as though he were like went through like modern combat training. You know, he's not like a fisticuffs World War II kind of brawler. Now he knows like you know, modern martial arts. And then by the time of like infinity war and Endgame, he's like, he's cursing. He's no longer with that stuff. When he faces himself in Endgame, you can see the evolution, you know, where he's like, I can do this all day. And then the future one goes, yeah, I know, you know, it's like, because <laughs> ass, he becomes modern, cynical, modern guy. Like he, he not only has a character arc in terms of like his person whatever he like he becomes um, a person living in our world and that also happens with thor you know thor becomes like a fat guy who drinks beer and plays Fortnite. but even before that he was way more uh you know earth earthenized by his like long-term relationship with jane and i like that that i, I thought that montage was really was a really cool thing to have and that is one thing about this movie I will say that I do like is it basically kind of like wraps up the Jane Foster storyline. No spoilers, but <clears throat> yeah, we're basically kind of but but again, that that montage is part of wrapping up that storyline of basically letting you know like, okay, what happened between Dark World and Ragnarok between him and Jane and uh, how their relationship ended and all that good stuff. And then obviously they meet up again in this movie. But one, th- but the uh, uh, the thing that made me like want to put a pit in that there for a second, um, and, and again I mentioned this on the pod is that this movie, just like Ragnarok, feels very very influenced by Guardians. And there's again as part of that montage, you see kind of like the de-evolution of their relationship, and you see where. Thor is basically kind of becoming part of the Avengers. There's like one scene where they're out to dinner and he gets a phone call and he holds it up and like, it's Nick Fury. And he's like, Oh, I got to go take this. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) and it says Nick Furry. (laughs) That is funny. Although I will say this about guardians, especially the second one, a lot of heart, a lot of, uh, a lot of like emotional moments that aren't undercut by jokes. Some are, some are like the whole, like, Drax, how long, you know, where he's standing there and he's like, if I stand super still, nobody can see me. You know, that one. <laughs> there, there are some of those and some where, you know, whatever. But but it, it does give the the serious moment space to breathe. Guardians 2 has a fucking a huge sad moment, both like at the end when Yondu like sacrifices himself for, for, for Peter. And then at the end... It, the, the Ravagers show up to pay on to respects when they told him they wouldn't like, that's a legitimately emotional moment and it's not undercut by anything. They play father and son by, uh, by uh, Yusuf Islam by Cat Stevens. Sorry. I know his like, 
is post uh, post conversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they play that song because he gets it on a Zune. <laughs> which is just a great yeah, song. which I, which made me laugh. So I was like, <laughs> Zune. And it's just a long sentimental moment that is mm-hmm. just that is just like allowed to sit there. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I wish he was a little, like I said, I wish he was a little more restrained. I, cause I love, I love it when he goes all out, but, it, but there needs to be like balance. There are lots of nitpicks about it, but that I, I, again, I, I said my, uh, my quick review of it was like, I enjoyed it, but it's, it's pretty bad, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I enjoyed it, but there's good things in it. Like, that's the thing. Like there's lots of fun things in it. And I thought Christian Bale was great. Like he, he hammed it up and it was really fun to watch because he goes from being both like very evil and like tortured to being like a sinister, like he's just toying with the little kids and like scaring them deliberately. He's just been like being like, like troll man. That's one criticism that I did see about this movie. And I'm not familiar with like, how this is treated in the comic books, but people seem to be very angry that this particular storyline was given this sort of treatment where it's like kind of lighter and more funny. And it's not, this is not a serious movie at all. Nothing is serious about this movie. Yeah. Someone said he's called called Gore, the God butcher doesn't butcher one God. (laughs) He kills one God before he becomes Gore, the God butcher. And then after that doesn't kill any gods. Well, he allegedly off camera killed a bunch yes. of gods. Yes, we see we see a god that he killed la- after he's already dead. But, <laughs> yeah, you, oh, god. the scene with Seth. Yes, yes, the scene with Seth. That was pretty funny. <laughs> Maybe your arms in Valhalla. Yes, <laughs> like oh my god. That, by the way, is also a comic book reference because Sif gets a ro like some kind of like robot, arm, magical robot arm, or something like that in the comics. <laughs> like that was that they that was but, a thing. But um, again, I, I guess maybe that's one of those moments that could have been played more seriously because obviously Sif puts out a distress call saying that there's this guy out here butchering gods, and so. Thor goes to her because reasons and he finds her and he's talking to her and she's like, no, leave me here. Like, I want to die in battle. And he's like, you know, you don't actually go to Valhalla unless you die in battle. And she's like, wait, what? And he's like, and she lost her arm in that battle. And he's like, maybe your arm's in Valhalla. <laughs> like, in a vacuum, uh, a uh, like a fully silly Thor movie like that is fine in my opinion. But not in the greater context again in which it needs to fit um i uh yeah i don't know i don't know what's going on i'm not i'm 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 in a second dip with my mcu uh like uh, relationship i went through a dip like before phase three although like a, a button there were like it was like a hit and miss but like all this phase four stuff like i liked I think WandaVision is still the only thing that I unabashedly love. I mean, I, I, I do love uh, Far From Home, but a lot of it is meta love. I love that it exists more so than it is a good thing, again, inside the MCU. It is sort of unconnected. It's basically, I like that at the end of it, Spider-Man is very classic Spider-Man. Like, no one knows who he is again. He has a regular ass spandex suit, and he lives in a shit apartment and makes no money. That's that's Spider-Man. Like, that's the, that's the classic Spider-Man situation. And so I like going forward seeing him like that. And again, I love that this movie exists and that, you know, it was like, uh, it's like 20 years worth of make goods for three different franchises. It's fucking ridiculous. Like I said, it's crazy that it even exists. Um, But none of these movies have been like, ah, yet. I said I recently rewatched Winter Soldier. It is so fucking good. Like, I mean... In like legitimately as a spy action thriller movie, the action sequences in it are thrilling. Like the, the the shootouts and the car chases, it's awesome. Like and it's and this has all kinds of again like gods and planets and stuff. And I'm like, I just want to see somebody flip a car 
and like fire a machine gun. I don't know. The punch a shield. I, they have a he, they, he and Bucky have that fight with the knife where he drops the knife and, and they're going really fast because they're both kind of super soldiers. It's so good. And it's like so quaint compared to all of this shit. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going when I said on the pod, like if you want to look at the evolution of superhero movies, you can watch all three slash four of the Thor movies now because I mean, Winter Soldier is very much also a movie of its time. And we don't really do superhero movies like that anymore. We don't do MCU movies like that anymore because everything is interconnected. And now we've, in in the Thor movie, I guess... I mean, it's it's not a spoiler because I'm sure everybody's seen it already. We bring in Zeus and we bring in the next villain, which I won't spoil because that's part of one of the end credit scenes. But we're bringing in, again, a whole nother universe of people who, going forward, Zeus is going to be part of this in some way, shape, or form. That is not entirely sure yet, but actually that probably was a spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> Another character. And now, and Black Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which is the next uh, movie that's coming out. Uh, by the way, Hall H, which is happening next Saturday, Marvel's Hall H uh, um, presentation at Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably going to have a lot of stuff, now that Thor is out, from upcoming shit. Potentially also Quantumania and Man 3, which will introduce... Who is supposed to be the next Thanos of this whole bullshit? Kang the Conqueror, who already kind of appeared in Loki. It's complicated. It's dumb. We won't get into it. Uh, but Wakanda Forever is already introducing Ironheart, which is the next Iron Man, Riri Williams, who's going to have her own show. Namor, who's like a Aquaman of this the thing. And like Shuri, who's going to be the next Black Panther. And then there's rumors about the end credit scenes that what they're going to introduce on the news today dropped that the actor from you, the show you mm-hmm. is very likely going to be the next Mr. Fantastic and the Fantastic Four. Um, like you said, a lot of stuff is being thrown in the pile. And yeah. it might be that they might be that they're kind of just looking to see what, what hooks people which is fine. I mean, again, it's hard to it's hard to see the forest from the trees when you're in it. Now you look back after Endgame at the whole road to Endgame, and you're like, huh, I guess that thing worked out somehow, right? <laughs> but like during the time, I remember after I watched Avengers Age of Ultron, I walked out mm-hmm. of, the, of Avengers Age of Ultron, and I was like, uh-oh. Because like, yeah, I enjoyed that, but like I... The hype for it was fucking bananas. Because, like, the first Avengers, I was a big hater. I was, I'm not before I saw it, like, before it came out. I said, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a disaster. Team up movie? What are you fucking crazy? Nobody even knows how to do a superhero movie. And yeah, sure, Iron Man was good, but Iron Man 2 wasn't that good. Captain America was fine. Thor, I didn't really like Thor that much. They were all kind of fine, but you're going to do now an Avengers? What are you, crazy? And and then, and again, I walked out of the theater with my friend. I was like, I was so wrong? Holy <laughs> shit, I was so wrong. I've never been so happy to be wrong. And I expected, I expected Age of Ultron to be what, like, Infinity, how Infinity War made me feel. I expected Age of Ultron to make me feel. I was very underwhelmed. And I was like, uh-oh, here we go. We thought... We thought it. I thought, great. They didn't. They managed to do an Avengers movie. We're golden. They couldn't even do another one, right? And so, like, when you're in it, you're not. Now you watch it as you do a rewatch, which I'm kind of doing at the at the moment with someone who's never seen any of these. Uh, a lot of them, in retrospect, you're like, oh, cool. You know what? Now I see how this kind of fits in everything. And yeah, if this was the movie that came out that year, and there was going to be no other movie for a year, I'd be like, bleh. But yeah, sometimes you go like, yeah, this isn't one of the stronger ones. But yeah, let's just get out of the way and the next one's great. And we can go on for the rest of this show about Thor, especially since now CNN has apparently figured out what we figured out ages ago, which is that studios are turning away from worrying about being approved for their movies to be in China and also because Thor 
Love and Thunder, it, it hasn't had an official no yet, but it's probably going to get a no because of its almost absolutely non-existent gay scenes. Uh, don't get me fucking started on this. But yeah, it seems like they're probably going to get a no because they didn't cut those scenes. And I, I, again, this also goes back to No Way Home and also Maverick, who also did not cut their scenes from their movies for Chinese approval and have done insane numbers. And so there seems to be like this kind of pivoting away from really giving a shit if your movie is going to be shown in China or not. And it, it's, it's, it's nice. And that's, that's about it. And also we called it first and we beat CNN. And I just wanted to say that. I mean, yeah, it's it, it, the, the, the thing is, uh, this is, this might seem like a, a weird, uh, a weird analogy, but um, I think Hollywood realized that there is no there is no negotiating here, right? There is no give and take. There is the CCP tells you what doesn't fly in their movie. And if you don't do that, they say no. And yeah, at some point they start to feel the pressure that um, that their domestic audience has especially for stuff like any kind of lgbtq content because again it's fucking ridiculous i know a lot of people listening to this and i know a lot of people in our circles or whatever don't like the whole woke thing they're always like oh it's woke this or woke that but it's also it really pisses me off that china is like doesn't want like like wants to ban because here people say oh it's woke shit i'm not gonna go watch it right but the CCP is like, oh, you put a gay thing in it? No, you can't play it in our fucking country, right? And so I don't fuck it. Like, even if I think it's like woke pandering in a movie, the fact that China's like, take it out or you can't play this movie in our country is like, like I would say, like, no, just don't. Like, just on the strength of that principle. And yeah, the fact that Western audiences, because COVID, they thought COVID was going to kill the movie industry. Uh, Tom Cruise, by the way, one of the biggest uh, people who like fought for the movie industry during COVID. He is, I got to tell you, Scientology and all that bullshit aside, like he's got to be so fucking happy, not just because this is by far his like uh, biggest success ever, ever, by the way, Tom Cruise, this is by far his biggest movie ever. Isn't that weird to think about? Yeah. Tom Cruise, yeah, by far, it's his biggest movie ever. Um, it's bigger than the Mission Impossible movies? Yes, which made a lot of money, but this is making more money than that. Yes. Um, um, but, but in addition to that, he's a big movie guy. He's a big, go see it in the, I want a theater experience, theaters, theaters, and thank you. And there was a, there was a video before the movie where he thanked people for seeing it in the theater he put out a PSA about how people can turn off motion smoothing on their TVs at home. So they <laughs> the experience. He personally, nice. he, per, he, assuming he's not, he's literally not like a lizard monster from another planet. He personally actually cares about this stuff. Like he, it bugs him that people watch stuff with motion smoothing on and don't know. People say to me, like, I don't want a 4k TV cause it looks weird. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. You got just cut it off. Yeah, just just cut it off. Yes, trust me. And TVs, and all the TV companies still call it something obscure. It's never just like, there should be a big switch on every new TV that says, stop making it look smooth and shit. (laughs) There should literally be like, yes, the, you know, the shit, turn off the look like shit button. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why it exists. I don't know who ha- I don't know who uses it or for what purpose. Unless it's like in a display at a store or something like that, and you want it to look at, you want it to show what it's capable of. Because if you edit video or I don't know what, sometimes you need to see things at like 120, you know, hertz or FPS, whatever. So like, but like nobody at home, it looks like garbage anyway we've gone way off track uh and 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 as much as i would love to get into like the ridiculousness especially is if if china 
actually says no to Thor because of the quote-unquote gay scenes in it, that is going to be the most insane, ridiculous shit ever because it's like both anything that you could call a gay scene in this movie is basically meant as a joke, but we have to talk about Elon. So anyway, um, we're going to the court of chancery officially, (laughs) officially it is official. Oh, is it? I didn't know. Yes. Twitter has officially dropped the gauntlet. They have, they have dropped their glove. They have said, we are going to the court of chancery. We are taking you, star. We I are going to a duel. <laughs> do you thumb your, do you, what is it? Do you bite your thumb at me, sir? No, I bite, I bite my thumb, but I do not bite my thumb at you, sir. It's from uh, Romeo and Juliet. Thumb your nose at me. I don't, so we have an agreement. We have a written contractual agreement that you will purchase this property called Twitter for $44 billion. And now you are trying to renege on this deal. Person, we need a, a sweaty person uh, with the two buttons meme, right? And one button says Elon Musk, like, uh, loses tons of money and has to, is forced to do something he doesn't want. And the other says, you know, Elon owns Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> cause that's like, it's like, what do you do if you want? Cause if you want, if you want Elon Musk to be sad and angry and lose, you're rooting for him to own Twitter. Yeah. And, so you're and- either, so that's, those are your choices. Your, your choices are either make Elon Musk happy or, uh, you know, like make him sad. <laughs> yes, but like, but if he's sad, then he owns Twitter. <laughs> so he's either sad, and, he owns Twitter, or he's happy, and he doesn't own Twitter. Which would you pick? Your poison. <laughs> and as many people have pointed out on the internet, um, Twitter's case against Elon is the most hilarious thing ever because the 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 actual like literal case against him is showing that he is a completely unserious asshat about buying twitter but that he did sign an agreement to buy twitter and obviously for for anybody who's wondering why twitter is pursuing this they have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to pursue this agreement because Again, this was a, a contract that was signed. I mean, whether Elon did his due diligence or not, that's either here nor there. It was his business to do it. If he didn't do it before signing the contract, but doesn't well, here we go. Contract language includes some kind of stipulation like this, meaning like provided that all of the because I think that they have to have he has to have some kind of argument, right? And I think his argument is you know, that the contract, the terms of the contract are always conditional upon certain information delivered being truthful and all that shit. You know how they say so-and-so has been transferred to this and that team pending physical, you know, one of those things? But but here's, here's the thing. In Twitter's filing, they show where they attempted to set meets with Musk to give him the information that he was looking for. And he refused to show up to the meetings. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know how this is going to play out in a court. But, I mean, anybody who's ever watched an episode of Judge Judy knows that when you sign a contract with somebody, you both have to uphold your ends of the deal unless you can come to some kind of mutually beneficial agreement, which it, it seems to me. Here's, here's the thing. People are trying to, like game theory this and be like oh okay elon's trying to get this for a cheaper deal or twitter's trying to get x amount of money out of elon they're trying to get their one billion dollar deal i'm like no twitter is trying to get the 44 billion dollars that was promised to them by contract from elon this is not this is not a negotiation this is Twitter saying you said so. No, no. Come on. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But on the other hand, like the way that that business on the on this level works is they can say we'll tie you up in litigation for this for twenty years, or or we'll do it for eighty five percent of the agreed upon price. If not, I'm willing. I said I'm the richest man on earth. I'll fucking I'll fucking keep this in court until I'm dead. 
right? Like that's the problem is that the, that the, 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 the world of like business litigation at those levels is really scummy and really cutthroat. However, uh, these things are very complicated because you said they said that they set meets and he didn't come. Their counter argument could be like, what meets? We asked them to send us the data. I'm not obligated to show up for a meeting. I said, send me the fucking data. They need to send me the data. There's no, like, there's, because that there can be all kinds of shit. Like, these things are so complicated and so convoluted sometimes. And, it, it, like, and, and, and that's why, by the way, the prospect of being tied up in litigation for years is not imaginary. It's act, he doesn't even have to threaten that. Sometimes these things, by nature of their, like, but just by virtue of their complexity, are tied up in litigation for years. And you might say, like, fuck it. You know, I'll take it that, you know, it's still over, you know, it's still over market price, but a little less. And and it's true. And, and yeah, maybe they will do their own math. And maybe they will see that uh, he has some sort of argument. I don't know what his counter filings are. I mean, this is very, like I said, this stuff is, none of this is simple. Everybody thinks that because Elon is like a shit poster that, his business dealings are also uh, this easily explainable. They said, come to a meeting. He didn't come to a meeting and now he changed his mind. I I think people are, are um, I think people are selling him very short. And I think, again, I think that's part of his persona. I think that he likes people to think that he's very simple minded and very shallow thinking. I think I told you, I think I said this on an old pod that, um, I know someone who used to be the personal assistant of like a billionaire. And he said to me that his boss and all of the billionaires that he met and worked with all pretended to be stupid all the time, especially when they were negotiating business deals, pretending to be naive and pretending to be like unknowledgeable about things they knew everything about. And it was all like a tactic. It was all like part of the game. Because the other guy thinks they get one over on you when in fact, you know exactly what you're doing. And so I think a little, it's, I think he's, like we said, he's a little bit on the spectrum. I think he's a little bit of a game player in this way. And I do think that if he is trying to blow up a deal this big, he, there's some ends behind it. There is some, there's something going on. He didn't just change his mind because he's a whimsical billionaire. Like, I don't think that's what's going on here. Here's my problem, though, with a lot of the analysis that's going on on Twitter right now about this deal is this idea that somehow Elon has the upper hand here. He does not. If you understand how this deal came about, Twitter never wanted Elon to purchase the platform. They only agreed to it because he offered a substantially higher amount of money than the company was actually worth stock price wise. So there's no incentive for Twitter to walk away from this deal. And as long as it doesn't go through, then the current board stays in place. The current stockholders stay in place. The company doesn't change hands. They still control the company. So if this stays in litigation for years, it doesn't really hurt them. It doesn't bother them. It basically gives them what they wanted in the first place, which was for Elon Musk to not do a hostile takeover of Twitter. So there's, I, I don't really understand what cards Elon thinks he has to play here because, like I said, he, this was a hostile takeover. I've said that from the beginning. Like, this was not something that Twitter wanted. Like, Twitter wasn't on the market. It wasn't for sale. He basically offered an insane amount of money for the platform, and they had to take the deal because, again, you have a fiduciary duty to your stake, to your shareholders, not your stakeholders. The stakeholders would actually be us in this situation, but your shareholders. And if somebody offers a certain amount of money, then you have to take it because again, you have to think about that. Now, so I, me, I don't know what he's doing. Now, let me ask you this though. Will Twitter's shareholders believe on its face what Twitter is saying and not what Elon is saying? So can the shareholders in the next shareholder meeting say, can you prove to us that you know, that the, you, that you were truthful with Musk. And if not, they, cause they can also, they like the share, cause I, again, I don't know what, I don't know how 
that stuff works exactly. But the shareholders can lose faith in Twitter management if they essentially if they buy what Musk is saying. You know, if Musk is like uh, uh, speaking, you know, essentially directly to the shareholders and saying like, "Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to do this," but they they were they were di- they were too difficult to, to for me to do this deal. If the shareholders believe them, then Twitter management is in a pickle and they actually might. And it might be the shareholders that say, even at a lower price, it's still worth it for us. Um, And we, yeah, we think you screwed this up. I don't know. I don't know. It's a possibility. But also, again, that would mean that you would have to find enough shareholders to band together who actually wanted Elon to buy the platform in the first place, which, again, that's always questionable too. Like, like I said, the, the fact that this was a hostile takeover is kind of getting glossed over by everybody. And it's like, this is not a deal that anybody really wanted per se. And so there's, I, I have questions about how far like shareholders would even try to push that argument. But, but again, like this is, you, you, you can't, <laughs> you can't launch a hostile takeover and then halfway through be like, you know what? No, I want to buy this for less money. Like that's not how this works. My dude. You're, you're, I mean, yeah, yes. And no, like I said, scummy, scummy uh, business on this level with people who can afford to throw around, you know, like mountains of money like this. They move them around like chess pieces on a board. Uh, I don't know. I maybe I maybe I'm overestimating him. Maybe I maybe it's just hard for me to fathom that there isn't some very compelling reason that he's doing this and not just like I said, not just like the weird whimsy of a billionaire who thinks he can get away with any, everything or anything. Um and uh, but uh, and I still don't think I do not think we've heard the last of this. Me and not meaning obviously we haven't, but I mean, no. but I mean like not like I still think that there's a chance that this will be averted. That at the last minute he'll come out and say, "Okay, we spoke again, and they actually gave me the numbers, and we're back on." Like I, you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know if there's still uh, like talk going on behind the scenes or if they're like, okay, going to court, not talking about it anymore because probably not in the same way. I would imagine not in in the same way that geopolitics doesn't work like that. Ultimately they want it. They want the deal. So if he, you know, if they are saying, okay, we're going to go to the court of chancery and then that the court of chancery, (laughs) <laughs> and, and we can't say it in an American accent. And then the next day they get a call from Elon's people saying, hey, can we have a, a phone call to discuss this? They're, of course, they're going to say yes. They're not, no, I we're going to. Know. Again, I don't, I, if, if, if it, I, I think that if the, if the prospect of, of, uh, of settling it quickly upon in the agreed upon terms that, carrot is dangled in front of you and if you think it's serious they might say like they might need assurances they might say like we're not going to just sit down if there's not some serious but i don't know again i don't know if they're now because they're going to the the thing the thing yeah like like and that's my point like not talking to each other i don't fucking know like this again corporate dealings on levels like this are things that not a lot of us us and even experts have a lot of experience with And that would be my point is that if legal at Twitter has already decided to take it to this point, like we're literally suing you in the Delaware courts of chancery, I would imagine that legal is not going to sign off on any kind of conversations or negotiations because you've already made that decision. And so basically the stance would be, if you want to talk, we can talk in court. Like, I don't know if they can court. Isn't Twitter's chief lawyer fucking Vijaya Gade? Yeah. That yeah, would like be, a, wow. That's like a, that's like an episode of Law and Order where now they, they meet in court. Talk. Yeah, you bullied me on Twitter, you bastard. No, no. Yeah. I would get my revenge on you, sir. Like I said, I got no, I got, I got zero 
tears to shed for seventeen million dollar a year uh, uh, Twitter lawyer Vijaya Gade. I mean, I'm, I'm very sorry that Elon Musk doesn't like her and that she got some mean tweets about it, but she can fucking she can uh, if she can wipe her tears with the fucking you know <laughs> she with fucking yeah I don't know I was gonna. With the, the Shroud of Turin, I was going to try to think of some kind of expensive cloth <laughs> with the Pope's, with the Pope's gold robe. <laughs> yeah, all these people have way more money than we ever will. And so it, in, a, in a way, it's kind of a stupid discussion, but it, it's not because it's, I again, like this does come down to a lot of contract law and how far does Twitter want to push this and what will the quarter chancery let them do because I mean I mean literally you signed a contract and like I said anybody who's watched Judge Judy knows you signed a contract you got to uphold your part of the contract so it's like they could literally force him to buy Twitter for 44 billion dollars which is it seems like what Twitter actually wants right now although they they don't but they do and it's a very weird situation but yeah they they could literally force him to buy it at the price that he agreed to purchase it at. Like yeah. that's a thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what kind of like uh, uh, compelling mechanisms they have. This is like, int- these are international corporations too. I don't fuck like this is, this is way beyond anything that I have any experience with. I'm all I can think about is, uh, you know, like uh, all I can think about is the, you know, what makes logical common sense in my brain. Like I said, I just don't, I, I, I do not see him doing this without some kind of reason. He's, he's very mum about it, by the way, he's just tweeting away bullshit. And his dad, you're the story about his dad that came out today. Oh yeah. Did you see a slap fight with Donald Trump? Well, no, no. Yes, but no, no, but his, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, he's well that his dad had another kid with his step, daughter which i mean elon has come out and said that he thinks his, his stepdad or his dad is a giant piece of shit basically oh really so. oh i didn't know that yeah so he has oh a yeah yeah, yeah no, he does not like him he has a stepdaughter that he raised since she was four she's now 35 and they have two kids together that's yeah. fucking, somebody said like you want to talk grooming that's grooming and I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe not maybe they did just fall in love when she turned 18 but like what are the fucking well, i mean they're <laughs> There probably was uh, the comedian Jim Florentine told the story like this. He was kidding, obviously, because he's like an edgy comedian. But yeah, I talked about, you know, your friend's younger sister. And you're like, I'm going to I'm just keeping an eye on her (laughs) eight years until she turns 21 or whatever. And then I'm going to give her a call, which is like super creepy and awful. But that was his point was like, anyway, his his whole shtick is like he he tells creepy. Like, as far as Elon's concerned, like this years and years and years ago, like he's, he's gone on record saying my, my dad is an awful person. Like I don't even associate with him anymore. Any awful thing that you could possibly think he's done it. So I don't know if this is particularly a shock to Elon, but yeah, he, he's put distance between himself and his dad ages ago because he just thinks he's a huge piece of shit. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. And I think, uh, yeah, I think we're, uh, I think we're, we're pretty much done with uh, with the show for tonight. Um, thank you very much uh, for everyone, uh, to everyone, for listening. Yes, thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna uh, be back next week. Ooh, in a, Thursday, in a Thursday next week. Yes, again Thursday next week. You're right. In a spe- a very special all crossed out. We're gonna very go- special. Yes, very special, uh, a very special episode. A special uh, episode of All Crossed Out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make like a sad piano version of this music. Just one single note. Single note. And then at the end, you got to just have that one die off note, like at the end of the boys. Yes. Oh, yes. Just like. <laughs> All right. So anyway, let's do let's do our plugs and get out of here. Okay. So the plugs. Obviously, if you're here, you already know about all crossed out. Normally at Wednesday nights at eight thirty, but for the bit 
this week, next week, it's going to be Thursday because reasons. Don't worry about it. Um, if you don't catch us live, you can always catch us on the app or you can catch this show on any of the podcast catchers. Our main pod, Ambitious Crossover Attempt, that drops every Monday. And you can find that on all your major podcast catchers, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon slash Audible, everything like that. Um, we are on Twitter at AMBXOver. I am on Twitter at that Jen Monroe and on Substack at jenmonroe.substack.com. I am Neon Taster on Twitter and also youtube.com slash C slash Neon Taster and twitch.tv slash Neon Taster. Uh, stay tuned for appearances from me on some stuff in the coming weeks. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Jen, and have a good night, everyone. Thanks, Norman. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in.